Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Yeah, how's everybody doing this morning? All right, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming. We are continuing our hope series this morning. I'm going to be in Romans chapter 8 if you want to find your way there. We'll be starting in verse 28, going through the rest of the chapter um, this morning. But I want to talk about this idea of understanding and conquering evil. Uh, And I want to start with a question about all of that. Hang out here for a minute. Hope, folks, it is meaningless unless it honestly deals with the reality of evil. And unless it brings a lasting solution to it, um, hope is it's meaningless uh, without actually honestly dealing with the reality of evil in the world. Um, and it's meaningless unless there's a solid solution for evil in the world, not just present, but on into eternity. Um, and so we have all kinds of discussion, you know, about hope, and we, we say all kinds of things in the culture today to be encouraging. All that's fine in data, but we got to go below the surface to really understand what is the rock solid, what is the foundation of our hope? And again, throughout this whole series, I'm just, we're asking each other, how is your hope? How is your hope doing? What's really happening right below the surface in your soul? Um, how is it doing? And, and as we're going to see here in this text, I mean, when things get worse, right, is, is that going to rock our hope? Um, Christian hope uh, should be hope that is, it endures, right? It, it even becomes stronger sometimes when the heat comes on and, and things get, get harder in all that. But we find ourselves saying, and we all do this, um, we, in the midst of a conversation with somebody and something's going on that's really bad, and, and we find ourselves just kind of saying something like, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, it's, it's, it's all going to work itself out. It's just going to work itself out, right? These are common things that we just, just pay attention to how often those things are, are said when, in, in conversations. It's going to be okay. It's all going to work out. And I would just personally, um, I think, have us think about that before we say those things. Of course, we're just trying to encourage people, and that's all good, but we need more than encouragement. We need to, to really get below the surface to what is the foundation? What is the foundation of, of hope? And, and, and to take people there um, the best we can in the sense of how do we know it's going to be all okay? How do we know it's going to work itself out? And we're going to read some amazing promises here just on that. But there's a condition to that. It's, it's not everybody. It's, it's, the condition is, do you know Jesus? If you know him and you truly know him, then the promises are amazing is that God's going to work out everything. Even the midst of the worst of the worst evil, the worst of the worst things going on in the world, God is, is going to work it out. He's going to work it all out for what? For good. For his children. So the question is, is boy, uh, that we have that rock solid promise if we know him. But if we don't know him, and if that confidence is shaky, right, then, then hope is shaky and it's flimsy. And if we're engaging someone else, it's not going to do any good to tell them, you know, it's going to just all work itself out. How do we know? How do we know? And that, that's not really encouraging somebody. It's not really getting to the point Right, that we need to get in the, in the conversation. And so 
This idea of hope, folks, it, it, it is meaningless, right? We, we, we need hope and we need it to, to rise up in our lives and hope and faith are intimately connected, right? All together, uh, intimately. And so we got to understand what evil is. We have to honestly deal with the reality of what is evil and is there a solution to evil, right, in, in the world? Um, and so what I want to do this morning is, is, is just read Romans 8, 28 through 39 for us this morning because there's just, uh, it, it, this is, I think, some of the most encouraging promises all packed together in this one chapter that we have when it comes to the encouragement that, man, what, what the, the solid foundation of what hope, Christian hope is, is really, right, all, all about um, in this process. So, um, I'm going to just read the text, and then I'm going to come back this morning. I've got four things just for us to think about this week, and hopefully just kind of wrestle with this week, um, with this this passage on this idea of, oh, what's the foundation of my hope? Have I, do I understand the gospel? Do I understand how the gospel has effectively dealt with evil? And uh, not just evil on the outside, but but listen carefully, the evil on the inside, Right? Now, this is, this is where parting of ways might, might come, right, with our culture and the conversation because our culture, right, repeatedly has bought the kind of the lie that, you know, we're, we're, humans are basically good, that we're good, right? And until we understand that every one of us has a capacity for evil, and for one reason or another, if, that, if, if our soul, right, is, is not dealt with, if, if our soul is, is just trying to do it on our own, trying to be good on our own, that um, it's not going to go well, right, to, to not pursue God, to not lay hold of, of the, this gospel that covers and transforms and makes sense of evil and is the only thing that has the power ultimately to change a heart, therefore to change evil in the world, um, then what we do is, is the continued move of evil. And that's a strong word, folks. I know if maybe you're right, you hear the church or in conversation you hear the Bible talk about sin. Um, sin is evil. Sin is, right, running the opposite way from God. Sin is not wanting God's way, but my way. And when we make that decision in life, every one of us, going all the way back to the garden, Adam and Eve is where it began, is they made a decision their way, not God's way. And that unleashes the potential for all kinds and forms, right, of evil in the world. And, um, and that is the only thing that explains the, the, uh, the presence of evil, right, in this world. The presence of darkness in this world is sin. It is not wanting God and wanting my way. And, um, and when that happens, boy, and when it can happen for generations, right, we see what we've seen in the world, right? Um, from the beginning of time, the evil unleashed and even existing right today. And that evil, it can take over, darkness can take over in a human heart. It does that first before it unleashes into the world and into situations. And it can overtake a community, a city, a nation even, right, as we've seen right throughout history, um, well, what is the solution, right, for that? And obviously, if we remain in the camp that doesn't embrace God, well, uh, you know, we, we should learn, right, again, from history that 
These things can't be conquered until the heart is conquered. What is the only thing that can conquer and truly transform the heart and has a consistent message of dealing with the reality of evil and the great hope, right, that we have, right, for the future? Um, and that's the gospel. It's what Jesus has done for us. So let's dive in here. Listen to the word of God this morning. Romans 8, starting verse 28. says, and we know that for those who love God, um, all things work together for good. Let me just repeat that. And we know, Lord's church, have confidence that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's important to know that God is for you. Do you know that this morning? You have confidence in that, that God is for you. It's critically important, isn't it, to know that he's friend and he's not adversary. And, and, and I, just, I ask that because how many of us wrestle sometimes with, is, is God, is, I feel like God's working against me. To have the confidence, it's impossible for hope to stand unless we have the confidence that he is for us, he is not against us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with Jesus, graciously give, us, graciously give us all things? That's the heart of God. There is no limit. Nowhere in Scripture do you find a limit on what God will do for his children. There's never a no. There's always a come, pursue. I come for more, right? Those, uh, Luke 11, we'll look at it here in just a second, in 13. Right? How much more does our Heavenly Father want to give us the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? those who want more of his presence right inside their, their life. What an amazing promise. This is one of my favorite promises, verse 32. I mean, if he, if he didn't spare Jesus, if he put Jesus through everything, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all of that for us, how much more will our loving Father freely give us? And that's an invitation, folks. It's not just some theological, yeah, I believe that. It's an invitation to go after God, to pursue God, to take him at his word, and to take hold of those promises in your life, right? By faith. And to walk with him for that. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. No man, no woman can justify themselves. No amount of religion, no amount of good works, nothing we can do can make ourselves right before a holy, perfect God. We are desperately helpless before God. We need a Savior. And thank God for the goodness of the gospel, of what Jesus has done and offers to us solely, right, by, by grace. Verse 34, who is it that con condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died, and more than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You realize that God is for us. You realize right now Jesus is at the right hand of, of the Father interceding for you. He's praying to the Father. He's, he's got you, your name on if you know him. This is huge. If we know him. 
He's got your name. He's got you that he's interceding to the Father. They are talking about you. Heaven is looking at his church and, and, and longing for the church and for us as individual, part of that church, to get a part of his purposes, a part of what he's called us to do. Now, why, would, why does Jesus need to intercede? Let's get very personal. Why does he need to intercede for us? Why do you think Jesus right now is needing to intercede for you, for me? This is a profound thing because we need some help. We're in the midst of a battle for our soul. We're in the midst of a battle with darkness and that battle's coming straight to the primary place it begins is our heart, our soul, our, our spirit, our livelihood, our emotions, our thoughts, everything. They're, the battle is here. It's raging. He's interceding. Right. In, in, in the scripture, if we step back into chapter 8, it says the Holy Spirit is, is praying and, right, and helping us learn how to pray to get a part of that heavenly chorus, right, to get in line with the will of God for our life, that we might, what, walk in his promises and carry out God's purpose, right, for our life. He's for us in a big, big way. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As is written, as Paul is speaking about his apostolic team's experience, for your sake, church, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep led to be slaughtered. But Paul's saying, even in the midst of all of our suffering to get the gospel out, is that, man, we're more than conquerors. We're, right, we're, we're, not letting any of this go to waste. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, through Christ who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow! At that, that is truth, right, that we have to hold on to, to have a foundation of hope, right, to, to stand in the midst of, uh, of the battle, right, for a soul, in the midst of the battle of light and darkness, evil and the goodness, right, of, of God that has been going on since the beginning of time. And folks, remember, what he's listed here is things on earth, but first, all, right, he lists nothing is separated from God. He's talking about the spiritual powers that be in the spiritual realm that affect the physical realm. And we're so Western today that we, it's amazing how much of our, of our time and our thinking process is so material, so in this world, removed, right, from the spiritual realm. And all the spiritual blessings that the scriptures talk about for his church, they start in the spiritual realm for us to take hold of those promises, make them a reality in this physical realm, right? We have to learn to pray and to lay hold of those promises in the spiritual realm and to live as spiritual people who are in tune, right, with the main battle of good and evil it's a spiritual battle that has physical manifestation but we're so western right those that kind of thinking is our culture is trying to remove right that thinking right all together and but paul lists out both of these were more than conquerors right in this process of following jesus and and letting the all the promises of god the heart of our father be ours right for us so I want to just go through four things, um, so much in these verses to lay hold of, but I'll just give you four, four things to think about this morning. 
and, uh, and some verses to go along with them as we think about fortifying our hope, as we think about this idea of understanding evil and conquering evil. Right? Without those two things, the assurance of those two things, there is no hope. Hope is just a feeling like, oh, it'll all be okay. Oh, yeah, everything's just going to work itself out. Be careful that we don't just throw things out like that, right? Take some time to think deeply about what needs to be said or how a person needs to be challenged or really ministered to or really loved, right, in that, in that moment. So here's the first. This is a biggie. We are having all of God we want. Now, this is a challenging statement. Right now, each one of us, we're experiencing God we have all of him we actually really want right now. Now, is this a wake-up call, right? In the sense of, I have to take, per I have to wrestle with this. I can't blame anybody else for where I'm at when it comes to my walk with God. In other words, I have everything that I have right now. I I'm experiencing God and his promises, right? I all I have is what I want, what I really want. Now, <clears throat> this could be misunderstood, right? It, it could lead someone to start thinking because all of us tend towards a works-based, I need to work harder to get more of God. No, it doesn't come that way, right? It's a relationship. It's a dependence on the Holy Spirit to go for more. But the reality is over and over from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, there's verse after verse after verse. God is calling you to himself, and he's done everything in ultimately sending his own son to die and to rise from the dead so that the, the veil in heaven itself, the presence of God, the holy God of the universe is open to anyone who, as Hebrews 4 says, will boldly come before his throne and be with him. And so if I, I and, and, but where, what, what is our culture thing? Our culture things, I'm, I sit back and I complain, God, where are you? I'm in a desert, I, I haven't got this. No, I have, I have to come. The, only, the first step towards genuine transformation is I have to take personal responsibility for my life and my soul. If I don't, guess what? There is no real transformation. I'm stuck, I get stuck. And this is where so much of our culture right, is at. We wanna blame somebody else. We wanna blame a circumstance in our life or God, or we wanna get disappointed with God. We wanna blame God. Where are you, God? You're not doing this or you're not doing that. Rather than saying, I am what I am today because this is what I want. And there's what I'm experiencing of him today is a result of what I have pursued by faith and taken hold of my desire for him. Because you know what? There's nothing, as we just read, the one, I, we could read all these, Luke eleven thirteen, 13, right? How much more, his promises, how much more, Luke says, of the Holy Spirit will he give to those who ask him, to those who pursue the Holy Spirit? And so if I'm not experiencing the gifts or the presence or, or, or understanding my, the, what the fellowship of the Holy Spirit's all about, it's because I'm not pursuing it. The promise is there. There's no limit whatsoever, right, to this. James 4, 8, what does that, what does that promise say? Draw near to me, God says. And then what? I'll draw near to you. And so if I'm not experiencing the presence of God, I have to come to a place where I'm, I'm right where I, I want to be, really. And that's, that's a harsh reality, isn't it? 
But you know what? That's where we start getting really honest with our soul and our desire and our affection for God is in the midst of that. And so, so really, let me just break this down. There's three categories, I think, of places that we all can fall and um, before we can start helping each other move past right, this, these barriers. And uh, the first place to deal with this is, you know, the reality is, folks, some people don't want God. That's a harsh reality, but do you know that? I mean, have you ever talked to anybody? But some people just don't want God. This is all, let's go back into the heavenly realm, back to the beginning. Satan left heaven. He didn't want God. Thrust the spiritual realm into evil and darkness. Adam and Eve were tempted, and they, they basically said, you know, the enemy's temptation was, come on, God's holding out on you. Come on, take the apple. You can be God too. You can do it better than God. They didn't want God, right? What they wanted was what? The eyes, what they saw with their eyes, the desires of their flesh, right? And it thrust the entire world into evil and sin and a corrupt heart that needs redemption, right? Some people don't want God. And what is hell? What is hell? The scripture is very clear that hell is separation from God. Hell is a place, not, it's not a place where people are, oh God, please, now I really, I really believe, I really believe. No, we don't see that. Jesus gave the parable, Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man was down, right, in, in Gehenna, and he was crying out saying, please get me out of here. It wasn't, I want you, Jesus. I see who you are. Hell is a place simply for those who don't want God. It's separation from a God. It, it is simply a place, and folks, let me tell you, hell is not just something eternal. Hell is present. It's an existence of those who have bought the lie and have hardened their hearts, and, um, and whether they say it publicly, I mean, I've talked to people, you probably have too, who says, no, I don't want any of that God. I'm atheist, or agnostic, whatever it is. But there's plenty more people who they wouldn't say it, but it's how they're living. They're living this life like they don't need God. They're living this life without pursuing God at all. And if you don't want God in this life, you're not going to want him for eternity. And that's how. It's just the natural result of someone who hasn't pursued, who is just getting what we want. It's getting what we pursued in this life. And if I don't pursue him in this life, guess what? I'm not going to get him in that. right? And that's the course of what Scripture lays out for us. So some people just... They just don't want God. And so how do, we, how, how do we love that person? How do we engage that kind of person? It would be absolutely false to tell that person, oh, it's all gonna work out in the end. No, it's not. Because the promise we just read in Romans 8 is only for those who love God and been called according to his purposes, right? So how you love someone who's just not engaged, who's, who's busy in this world and, and just has no thought of God, they're just busy getting consumed with the things of the world. How do we engage that kind of person? Well, you know what? We have to go to scripture. We have to pray. We have to do, join Jesus and bring this person before the throne of God. Lord, open their heart because we can't do that. Open their heart. Show me how to awaken in them a hunger for God. Just hit them hard, God, with your presence. Make them uncomfortable, right? Rock them out of their existence. That's the beginning steps of really loving someone, praying, Lord, please just get a hold of their heart. And every one of us in here who knows Jesus, guess what? Somebody was praying for you, right? Somebody was taking your name before the throne of God. Or get, you know, it could be a grandmother. I had a grandmother. I had a mother that just, you know, they just get a hold of his heart. 
And somewhere in our just wandering, somewhere in our just living life and not thinking about God, but thinking about ourselves, is that we were rocked. It could be a circumstance, it could be whatever. And we're like, wait a minute. Okay, I need to start thinking about God. I need to start thinking about eternity. I need to start thinking about where is my real hope? What is this all about, right? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Awakening, right? The, the, hearts, of, the hearts of people. That's the first category. People, there's people who don't want, um, just don't want God, according to this. The second category is people who want God, that desire God. They're, they're a believer, maybe they've received Jesus, but you know what? They're just kind of content with where they're at. The, you know, any kind of sermon or any kind of pushing, you know, these people for more is it makes them feel uncomfortable. Just status quo Christians. I just, go on, I just want to stay here. What I know, what I understand, my safe zone, Right? But there's real no move of a pursuit. There's no really going after the promises of God in a practical way. There's not a burning sense of, God, I want more. I don't want to miss out on any of this. Right? The third category is somebody who knows Jesus and who knows every day, Lord, I want more of you. I need more of you. Whatever it takes, let's go for more, right? And the reality is inside the church, those second two categories, we all bounce back and forth between them right? I mean, if we're all honest, right, is that there's days where, you know what, we just, we just don't really feel like pursuing God. We just don't really like putting the effort in to be quiet before him. We're busy. We're, we're all caught up in some, one of our endeavors. We, we just don't really want to do that. Or it's a season where I just don't have energy to get into the word or, or to really serve God or really wrestle with deep things in my soul, whatever the issue is, right? And then we bounce and then certain things happen and we get hungry for God and we go for more. And the goal in the church for each of us is to spur, as the scripture says, spur each other on to love and good deeds, to spur each other on for more of God, that there is a passion not to do more. That will come. Obedience is critically important and proof of my hunger for God. But the first thing and the primary thing that we should be engaging each other on is where's your heart? Where's the zeal for the Lord? Where's the love and affection of Jesus of what he's done for you? And are you seeing the power of the gospel transform your soul? And do you have testimony of the reality of God changing you from the inside out? And do you have testimony of God's power moving through you to bring a conquering of darkness in others? Is there a sense of, man, now I'm journeying with Jesus. I'm partnering with him in the ministry to others, bringing the love and the power of God right into other people's lives. That's the primary thing we should be, the scripture tells us, we should be stirring Right, each other up when we gather together uh, to, to go on to love and good deeds. Now, here's the other thing that's important, this caveat to this statement, and this is critically important, is that from the beginning, God has commanded his people to gather together, not online. Online church is an oxymoron. It's not, there's no such thing. You can tune in, you can hear a message. You can hear a podcast. Do not buy the lie that that is a substitute for church. Never was, never will be, simply because the command of God, Jesus came at just the right time to give a vocal message that is to be shared face-to-face -face in the presence of God's people. That's the church. That is the gather. By It's a command to not forsake gathering together, right? Large group, small group, whatever size, right? And the caveat to this statement is there are some things, listen carefully, there are some things that the promises of God have for us to experience that I cannot experience alone. I need you. 
And the scripture says, do not quench the Holy Spirit when you gather together. Is there are some things that we must pursue in unity, the presence of God, the blessings of God, the power of God, just go down all the other blessings that you want to in- include here that require the unity of the body. This is why Ephesians 4 right, says simply, at all costs maintain the unity of the bond of peace in the church because if not, guess what? There are several things that we will not be able to experience. Does that make sense? That's why it's critical we gather together because unless we gather together in fellowship as the body of believers pursuing primarily the presence of God among us and rejoicing in him, not peripheral issues, at the core of it is his presence that we trust he's gonna be here, he's gonna work, he's gonna do something, building expectation, holding each other accountable for that kind of expectation and that kind of zeal for the presence of God. You cannot, no one can maintain an individual, zealous, passionate, growing in relationship with God without, what? Gathering together with other believers. That's just how God did it. It's the body of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. We need each other, right, for these things. And uh, so many blessings will be delayed if the church does not do its role and lift their, and here's the reality. My pursuit, my zeal for God radically impacts you. Your zeal for God impacts me. And that is, that's a big load, isn't it? That's a big load that, that I might, if I don't pursue God, right, if, if I'm um, whatever, I'm just off the rail, and let's just use me as an example, as a pastor of the church. If I'm not zealous for God, if I'm not, and the most important thing you could ask of me and know of your pastor or your Christian leaders, whatever, is first and foremost, are they pursuing the presence of God? And or is their life holy before God laid open? And is there healthy accountability and communal aspects of that journey happening, right? Because if I go sideways, if I lose my passion for God, if I'm not going to his word primarily, if I'm not in his presence, then what's going to happen, right, is guess what? That's going to have a, and, you know, and we have way too many stories like that, unfortunately, in America today, Right? But it's just not, it's not all dependent on the, the people teaching or the pastors. Guess what? It's just as much important of everybody in the body. And a lack of zeal brings a quenching, brings a halt. And sometimes in our life, we've all been there, right? We're just like, no, I'm fearful or I'm not ready to go there or whatever it may be. It's just according to the promises, I'm going to just move on to another passage or I'm not ready for that. That's fine. But... Right? We have to realize that in the journey, we need each other. And there's some things we see are corporate experiences. Does that make sense, gang? Really, really important. So this, what's happening, one of the many things I think God's doing during this time is he's reorienting the church around this idea. Look, <laughs> gathering together is not optional. Do you understand the majority of American believers, okay, church gathering with other believers is strictly optional when it comes to the idea that I'm having my personal quiet time with the Lord. And God is just blowing that up and showing us that is just absolute false. It's impossible to do that, right? For seasons because of whatever, sure, but we need Christian fellowship. It's, it, it's the only way ultimately, right, for... <clears throat> the growth, and for God to pour out his blessings and experience, right, uh, upon his people. So 
Um, take this question, really wrestle with it, right? Not as a sense of condemnation. Remember, what's the first verse of this chapter? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So if there's condemnation, then you've just stepped outside of the gospel. You're misinterpreting. You're letting that passage actually bring judgment on you rather than through the gospel lens of I'm having all the God I want right now is, Lord, I need to really wrestle. Where's my, what's my appetite for the presence of God? I mean, what do I really want from God, Right? And, uh, and to realize that this is where we should be pursuing each other individually, also and corporately for more of him, more of his blessings, right, in our lives. That these things would be real and the testimonies of that reality, right, in, are in our life. So let's move on. The second thing is, folks, listen, Jesus saves us from evil within and evil in the world. When we talk about having a healthy foundation of hope, we need to understand what Jesus saved us from. And, you know, I think, again, for a lot of us, it's easy to talk about the evil out there, and we forget first to talk about the evil right here, the evil within. And again, sin is evil, right? It's, it's what causes evil to be unleashed in the world. And until I just understand, until I'm overwhelmed with the reality of, right, what, what God through Jesus has done for me, I'm not going to experience the, the, the transformation that God wants to do inside my own heart, defeating evil. So I'm ready now to step out and be an a agent of love to bring the power of the gospel, right, to help others, right, to journey with Jesus in, in that process. And, um, I mean, there's so many amazing, right, just promises right here uh, that we just read in... Um, in Romans 8, verse 31, what then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you believe that God is for you? It's amazing right now in the church, again, just statistically looking at where people's hearts are at, is there is this underlying sense that I've done something wrong or I'm still under condemnation or maybe God's, why is God doing this to me? Or just a general disappointment with God in the believer's heart. And I just want to tell you this morning, if, there, if you're wrestling with those things, those things will keep you from experiencing the promises of God. It, will, it stops us and those things have an avenue of hardening our hearts. And so, boy, step out, step, make a, a step of faith, right, to, to engage others, to help and get honest with our soul and with where we're at on, the, on this, this issue of the gospel reality, right? There has to be an assurance that God is for me, not against me. Not because of my self-righteous works or my, you know, what I've done, but solely based on the grace of Jesus, what he's done for me. And that when I feel condemnation or judgment, I immediately can go to the cross and I can lay that down and, and, and can bolster my identity, can build myself up in the Lord, right? Apply the gospel, right, in, inside, my, inside my heart. And, and so this is, this is where we begin, is first understanding, again, the source of evil in the world is it's from human hearts who've rejected God and who've allowed their flesh patterns to be, be taken over by evil and bring forth evil right in the world. I mean, just name any evil in the world and we'll trace it back to it's a heart that got sideways, rejected God, rejected his way, rejected accountability, rejected um, the promises of God and therefore was exposed right to evil and that evil Folks, the propensity we all have for evil, the reality of that 
We have to be in that state to understand the magnitude of God's grace for us and the magnitude of the power of the gospel, right? What it's done for us to bolster us and, and strengthen us, right? And prepare us, right, to, to go in, out into the world and be agents of salt and light, right, to the world. But folks, we also have to understand that Jesus, he's conquered and will conquer all the evil in the world when he returns. Um, now, last week I said that I was going to start kind of a mini-series in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, where Jesus answers the question of disciples is, hey, when is the end going to come? What's that going to be like? And he gives some incredible details about the end, and I'm going to deal more with the details of that prophecy in the weekly uh, um, Daily Faith Builders, but I just want to touch on it here and encourage you to go and take this discussion to Matthew 24. In verse 15, Jesus says, in the end, the abomination of desolation will arise. Now, that might be the worst title you could ever have, right? I mean, that's just evil, right? And the abomination of desolation, folks, and this is the point I want us to get this morning, is Jesus says that in the end, as the time comes, there'll be more false voices, false messiahs, political, intellectual, scientific, religious, all these voices, right, claiming, trying to get followers, trying to get those to say, hey, we've got the answer for the world. We're the messianic voice for the world, right? And Jesus says there'll be one in the end. And uh, he, he's called the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, um, ties all the way back to something fulfilled in Daniel. Again, folks, the Bible is the only book in the world that has hundreds and hundreds of prophecies uniquely fulfilled within it. And still ones yet to be filled, right, for, for the future. But here's the important part is that many would say, hey, evil, and many I've talked to even in this community, they would say religion's the problem. Get rid of religion, right? And the evil will subside in the world, that the primary evil in the world is, is because of religion itself is what causes that problem. And um, uniquely, though, those, the people who ascribe that idea are people who themselves rejected God, don't want God, right? But here's the important part, folks for us to think about, <clears throat> is in the end, as the time grows cold, goes towards the end, as Jesus makes very clear in the Olivet Discourse, is that things will become much more supernatural. Much more supernatural. It says that there will be leaders who will have supernatural power, evil leaders, that will even be able to lead away the elect, lead away mature believers. They will have such incredible supernatural power to bring, quote, what we think of worldly peace and other things, and there will be this uniting of supernatural power with political power. This is very important to understand because many people, right, the, the avenue we're going now that many people think is that, well, these are separated, that here's political thing and keep the separation of church and state and we got the church over here. That's not what Jesus says. In the end, those who are going to rise to power are going to be those who merge these two and who are not just incredible, charismatic, whatever, powerful leaders, but they are supernatural leaders, and all of Scripture says, as we move towards that direction, is that more right prophecy will come alive, more it will, the church will be given greater measures of understanding of what God is doing. And so I'd say this to you to wake us up to realize if we are concerned, if we are hands off the supernatural now and the things of the Spirit now, boy, when that comes, we will not be ready for it. We'll not be ready for it. In other words, the, the spirituality that, that, can, that defines the majority of the church in America is not adequate for a spirituality that's going to be needed as we draw near to those times. I'll say that again. 
The spirituality of the majority of the American church today is not adequate for the spirituality that's needed for when those end times come. The reason we're having this birth pain, Jesus called this, was going on right now, and I could add many things to it, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, blah, blah, blah. All these things have been happening. Those will increase, right? Those all things should be telling us, wow, the earth is groaning. Right, this, all, the, all the tension, all the emotional and health in our nation right now, this should all be a wake-up call. Man, we gotta get ready. We have to bolster our spiritual life. We have to bolster our hope. We have to bolster right, our spiritual life and the promises of God and how we as a church operate right, and pursue God because if not, we're not gonna have a faith adequate for those times when they come. Right? Does that make sense, gang? And so we're working against so many different things, right, of, of the world. And we as a church, we need to re restore these things, right? So Jesus saves us. He starts on the inside, the evil inside. And um, <clears throat> he's covered our sin, every bit of it, free. For those who, again, who want that, those who want his gracious forgiveness, nothing is in the way. Nothing to be free, to be blameless, to be righteous before God. No one can work for those things. God is willing to freely pour those out on anyone who will simply just ask. You can't, you can't get yourself ready. I, I can't just get myself into a place of, oh, I'm feeling good now. Okay, God. It's in the midst of oftentimes the, the bottom of the pit that we just, God, I can't. You, you've, got to, you've, you've got to come. You've, you've got to do this. That's when God, the Spirit of God moves in, right? That's when he moves in. Third thing, nothing, folks, can separate us from the love of Jesus. Wow. Hold on to that. And what did we just read? Paul himself, who went through all kinds of, of things we've talked about, persecution, tribulation, and, and what, what Jesus says, it's going to get worse for the church as the time gets, gets in. That should not be depressing. That should just be truth, right, in the sense of confirming what God is doing in this world. He's moving, and folks, the, all of your history is moving to this, this big clash, this big war of evil and the will of God. And God is going to bring justice. He's going to bring judgment. He's going to make it right. And is our faith adequate? Is our hope adequate for that day? No matter what is thrust upon us, as, as what was thrust upon Paul in that day, it says it will be even worse. Jesus makes it very clear when he told the disciples, look, 70 AD is going to be really bad when Romans come in and wipe out right, the, the temple, but in the end, it's going to be even worse. And is the church going to endure? Is it going to have a faith adequate right, to, to stand? And in the midst of that, I have to say, I have to keep building up my heart. Lord, you're, you're, nothing can separate me. Nothing. And I love this John passage. Folks, Jesus says it as clear as a bell, starting verse 27, right? He says, my sheep, they hear my voice. I ask you deeply this morning, do you hear the voice of Jesus? Do you know him? Not have you religiously given your heart. Do you know him? Are you taught, are you relying on him? Are you listening, tuning into him during these times? And he says, my sheep, they hear my voice. And Jesus says, I know them. I know them. This is the reality of a relationship with God that the gospel speaks about. And then he says this, and they follow me. Are we following him? Do we understand what it means to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus? Do we understand what that's all about? 
But then he goes on. The rest of the verses are in John 10, and he says that my sheep, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Wow. And he goes on to say, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. We're secure. Now, that's a pretty vivid description, right? Someone's trying to snatch us from our Father's love. All day long, folks, something, right? There's a spiritual realm and there's attack. And the primary point of attack is they're trying to get you, trying to get me unrooted from our Father's favor over us, trying to get us unrooted from how much God loves us, to start doubting that. If I start to even give an inkling of a doubt of God's love for me, guess what? Boom, Whew. my confidence, my hope, my faith, it gets, can get shattered, so nothing can separate us. We go to war. We go to war for one another. And this is where we need one another because sometimes we can't stand up under that, right? And we have to, brother, sister, come. Why? We got to go after this in prayer, right? And trust him in the midst of all that. Final thing, fourth thing here, folks, just as we think about, man, hope and, and this idea of understanding evil and um, and understanding the conquering of evil. Folks, here we go. We're more than conquerors in Jesus, Right? Who, in Jesus, he conquered all evil. And uh, this is where this chapter 8 ends, right? And it uses this incredible language to define us that we are more than conquerors. Man. Verse 37. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so I just ask you this morning, is there testimony? Do you have testimony of the reality of the Holy Spirit working in your life? Do you have testimony of the power of the gospel defeating evil and sin in your life and delivering you? Those are the testimonies that should be coming alive inside the church. Let me tell you what God's done. Let me tell you how he, he set me free from this emotional bondage. Let me tell you how he set me free from this, this stress. Or let me tell you how he set me free from this worry. Let me tell you how he set me free. The gospel set me free from judgmentalism. Let me tell you how he set me free from depression. Let me go down the list. Do we have those testimonies? That's the reality that God is changing my heart. He's removing the flesh and every one of us is born into this world with flesh patterns, right? Certain areas of weakness where sin takes hold. And if that thing is not reeled in, guess what? It creates evil, right? So boy, we're more than conquerors. And then the testimony, the second testimony after we deal with that is, boy, do I have testimony of God using me by the power of the Spirit to come and bring deliverance and blessing, right? And, and to others. Am I allowing God to use me that way? Right? To be more than a conqueror, right? Because again, it's communal. He desires to work through us to bring a blessing and grace and mercy and love of God right into people's lives that whose hearts are hard, who are stuck, who are struggling and don't have a zeal for God. And we need to come to them with pointing out the glory of who God is, how much he loves them, how much he's done for them and to help them make just, maybe at first it's just baby steps by faith right towards God, laying hold of him. So I hope you'll just take those four things this week and just take some time. Ask the Lord. We've got to get honest before God. Where's our heart? Where's our, our spirit with him, with his glorious gospel? What's the real analysis of my heart and my hope? What's the real analysis of, my, of the hope in my life? And, uh, and boy, let's invite others into that process, right, of vulnerability and strength, strengthening each other and calling each other out. Derek, come on up and... 
I want us just to take some time this morning, really just to, um, with the time we have left, to just enjoy his presence and, uh, and to really wrestle with this, this first question of, um, I'm going to just drop it down here to this first one. Oh, let me have it. All right. Well, maybe I won't get it. But anyway, just want us to um, take some time to enjoy him and wrestle with this question of where's my heart and that statement of I have all of God, I have all of the Holy Spirit that I want. I have all the blessings of God I want. And, and, and that should not lead us to a place of condemnation if you're under the gospel. It should lead us to a place that we see in the scripture, Lord, increase my faith. Lord, make me hungry for more. And as I said earlier, that's the primary thing we should be stirring each other up with is, come on, let's get zealous for the Lord. Let's get our heart back engaged and hungry for him, right? There's no limit on what God wants to pour out on his people. And so... We're to come to him and just, Lord, you've got to do it. Make me hungry. I want more. I want more. I don't want to stay in a place of complacency. I, I want to be a person that is on the journey of going after that throne, that presence of God, more of you in my life, right? And so just as the team plays, um, just, just take some time. Let, let the Lord, I'm going to just pray for us and um, let the Holy Spirit do business, right, in, inside our soul this morning and enjoy him. Father, come to you this morning. Holy Spirit, we do, we invite you here. And Lord, maybe for some people that's, that's weird language, but Lord, your word says it everywhere. It's, you'll give it to those who ask. More of your Holy Spirit, more of you inside our heart. More of your promises, more zeal, more the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, we want more of you. Awaken our eyes, the eyes of our heart, as Paul prayed for the church. That we may have more intimate knowledge, Lord, of the spiritual realm blessings we have in that realm. Holy Spirit, come now and just minister to your people. Lord, overshadow any condemnation, Lord. Father, I pray for the church. May there be a blessing of unity. Lord, a blessing of locking arms, going for more. Greater faith. Greater pursuit. Lord, after you, you promise to be present Lord, where your people are gathered in a special way. Revive us, Lord. Yeah, come, Jesus. Send your spirit, Lord.
Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.